0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fire Neural Network's brand new podcast series called Fired Up. We are so excited to include guests from all over the world who are fire experts in the industry. And so today, we're very excited to bring on FNN's own John Kern, who is definitely a subject matter expert in fire behavior and wildfire suppression. He's the former Deputy Chief of Field Operations for the Florida Fire Service, and he actually just retired after 35 years in the service. So without further ado, I'd love to bring on John to the show. Welcome, John. Thank you, Christine. Great to be here. So let's first start off um, with a little background. I'd love to learn about where you're from and how you got into the fire industry. Sure.
1: Um, I grew up in uh, upstate New York. I always had kind of a passion for being out uh, in the environment, outside uh, fishing, riding our bike, always uh, out in the fields with my friends growing up. Um, So we had that go camping with the family, things like that out to the Rocky mountains and always enjoyed kind of studying that. And my family would explain to us things about the environment, you know, why certain trees would grow here and why deserts would be over there, that sort of thing. So I've had kind of a, a leaning towards that. Uh, Got through high school and, uh, was looking at different colleges and and was drawn to uh, Syracuse University has got a environmental science and forestry school there. So I did get a degree in forestry out of Syracuse, New York Um, and then put my applications out there as one does at uh, graduation time. And uh, luckily for me, uh, Florida Forest Service, Division of Forestry at the time, 35 plus years ago, uh, were hiring uh, firefighters slash foresters. So I uh, came on down with my wife at the time, um, to, uh, start that career with the Florida Forest Service, uh, learning the ropes, learning the specific trees and things like that, uh, that are growing down here in Florida and forestry as it was here, really didn't come in with a lot of fire background coming out of upstate New York, uh, wildland fires up there, kind of few and far between, uh, but down here in Florida, fire is a real important natural part of the ecosystem. Uh, we are the lightning capital of the, North America and the United States here in Florida. Uh, so fire plays a really important role in how our trees and plants are and animals are all adapted. Uh, fire has to be part of the ecosystem, otherwise uh, things get kind of out of whack there. So I've always had kind of a, a background in, in enjoying the outdoors and understanding, and then you know that science background as well of uh, wanting to know why things are growing, where they're growing and, and how to help them out and how to help preserve things.
0: And what a fantastic balance of you know, something so cerebral and so scientific, but then it really gets you out in the field and to experience nature and to protect nature too. Um, -hmm. so, and so that is a great segue into, you know, describing your passion for what you do, what drives you and, and what has kept you in this industry for so long?
1: Right. Yeah. So it certainly did start out there with wanting to understand, you know, how to be able to use the environment. You know, we do need, uh, products out of the environment. They're like agriculture comes off the land and things like that. And timber does provide lots of paper products and construction products and other even chemicals and things like that off the land. And we can do that in a balance, but it does take some science and some studying uh, to know which trees you should plant where, when to harvest them, and then how to also do it in a way uh, that it allows for hunting and recreation and water quality and things like that to also be uh, part of that ecosystem that we're trying to preserve—they call it multiple-use management—and so I was really interested in that. Uh, actually, started out more of an urban forester in Fort Lauderdale, uh, helping with street trees and urban heat islands and how to dissipate, you know, that heat and keep things, uh, you know, safer there and a little bit cooler in those uh, urban heat islands, you know, which is really. Uh, front of topic now. I, I was doing it back in the 80s and 90s there. We were worried about, uh, you know, almost global warming at the time, but just, you know, that uh, urban areas are too warm. It really does help people's uh, psyche as well to have more trees around and people heal faster. And, and uh, you know, it's just good for human beings to be around trees as opposed to just strictly urban landscape. So I started out as an urban forester, but then I think it was, uh I was out on a prescribed burn where we're applying fire out in the sawgrass out in the Everglades from an airboat, one of those boats with a big fan on the back of it that pushes across a very shallow water. Uh, we were doing a prescribed burn out there and it was just uh, exciting. I really liked the teamwork that was going on there with a the multiple teams trying to keep, you know, and we did keep the fire within the confines. But if there is just a small spot fire that goes across your line when you're out uh, doing this in an airboat, the Way that you fight that fire is to go straight towards it, turn your boat sideways, and then just slide over the little bit of uh, grass that's on fire and smash it down into the water, and it pops up on the other side of the boat, extinguished. And I'm like, "All right, there's wow. a career. <laughs> Trust me." <laughs>
0: that's what Definitely, I'm doing. that sounds exhilarating.
1: I'm getting paid for this. All right, let's uh, let us do more of this and learn more about it. Uh, and, and I did, and so I uh, really had uh, kind of a feeling that I liked weather. And, uh, you know, the environment and all that, and that all plays into the fire behavior. How do you do it safely? How do you do it efficiently? You don't just jump into every fire exactly the same. Fires, obviously, in sawgrass versus the meadow with the tall trees and palmettos are all different kinds of fires that we fight with different types of equipment. Um, and there's a whole uh, supervisory structure that goes along with that, the incident command system where you've got different division suits and squad bosses, and it's all broken down, kind of like in a military fashion where you have platoons and battalions and that sort of thing. But we have our different operations and plans and finance and logistics all broken out into kind of neat organizational structures. Uh, So I liked learning that and also teaching those things. And and one way to really learn a topic, as you probably know, is to have to get a talk about it. So if I'm out teaching classes on fire behavior, I certainly have to stay up with the, the latest science on it. Uh, so that's how I kind of moved into the, the passion of it, just seeing the different uh, wildfires and the effects that those were having and how our people can help stay safe, fight those efficiently, uh, be out on fires where we were having to close down interstates and just the impact that has on so many people. Uh, you know, how do we minimize that? And some of the ways that we minimize that is through prescribed burning, reducing those fuel loads beforehand when the wind's blowing away from those roads. Uh, take care of it then so that if a lightning strike does come along later on, those fuels have been burned recently and it's a less catastrophic scene. Uh, So just, you know, all that uh, teamwork, science, uh, the action of, uh, you know, fighting fire out there, that dynamic uh, circumstance that you're working in is all just uh, very exciting to me. And and I wanted to help our people learn more about it, help the public learn more about it. I was a public information officer uh, when I was down in South Florida for a while explaining to the news media to the public, you know, what's going on with our wildfires and what the effects might be and the timing of when we might be able to get things under control. So that was all uh, very I interesting.
0: You've got it all. And,
1: uh, well, yeah, you try <laughs> the, the Florida Forest Service is good, about that. starting you out uh, kind of at the bottom, learn the basics there before they put you into a, a more leadership role, where I did eventually end up uh, on our incident management teams, as well as day to day operations with forestry.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like you've been exposed to all the different facets of the fire industry, and I'm curious through the years that you've been in fire how you've seen it progress. You know, speaking specifically about technology, mm-hmm. if you can speak a little bit about how. Yeah, oh, yeah certainly. And-
1: yeah, yeah. Well, so, so being the old guy uh, here in the room, that uh, the uh, it has changed a lot. When we first started out uh, with our fire behavior, it was all literally lookup tables in books. Um, we were sharing a story the other day with, with some of my other retirees where in the county, there was one person had the aerial photos and you would buy the aerial photos every few years. You could afford to buy the book of aerial photos and we would put a sheet of plastic over it and we would write on that because it couldn't ruin the one set. And nowadays, obviously everybody reaches for their phone this is exactly where we are on this fire with a map that's geo-referenced and all that so our our fire behavior started out uh, very much the same way we'd look up tables we'd come down the column with the temperatures here and the humidities there that gives me a dew point of this number and then we would plug that into another worksheet draw some graphs around it come up with it get a ruler out on our paper maps draw where we think it is on that part and then redo all those calculations on a different part of the map Go over to the third part of the map where the fire is going backwards and have to do it all over again uh, all by paper all in a time crunch and then again how do you share that now okay great now i have the map how do i get that out to the hundred firefighters that we've got right. you know, on the scene so you would have a briefing with a board everybody would have to apply to it as soon as something changed you know it was very difficult to really relay that in in uh, a good situational awareness, common operating theater, things that we have nowadays. So it started out uh, slow computers, uh, DOS programs, we had to type the word run in and list and see what you had and just, you know, really uh, almost laughable at this point, but it was what we had uh, made the use of it. So nowadays, we have got satellites, Circling around we have got uh, layers upon layers of GIS information about our fuels and the slope and the weather is so much better It's down to several kilometers of digital forecasts every hour They can tell us when the sea breeze is going to be coming in uh, things like that so our Ability to have a much better product out there for our firefighters for the planners Is is just outstanding we can do uh, one hour, two hour. Or we can go out three or four days with really good accuracy. And an important thing that we're that we're doing nowadays, especially as these fires are just getting so big. Uh, I've been on fires. Uh, so Going through my little list there, but uh, in most of the western states—Montana, Idaho, Washington, Oregon, California—and um, especially recently out in California, it seems uh, with these mega fires, literally getting to a million acres. Um, when I was starting out. If you were out west on a fire that was 50,000 acres, it was a very big fire, 100,000 acres, wow, Wow, pretty rare to be on that. Now I've been on fires that, oh yeah, we're at 500,000 acres and going. People are going to the fire for two weeks, coming home for a couple of weeks, coming back to the exact same fire because it's still going uh, for shift after shift. So not only do we need to do those fire behavior forecasts for one or two days we're having to look months out or even you know, mm-hmm. certainly weeks and weeks out but months out and we do have got that uh, technology now we've been gathering the data the weather uh, for months and months uh, across the summer and then storing that for the past 20 or 30 years at some locations and we can use climatology to say okay here's where the fire is now what is the probability of it actually making it to the top of this mountain or down this to the Snake River and where the cabins are and how long will that take? And it could be weeks and weeks out in, in front. But we're looking at those uh, possibilities now, you know, not just where's the fire right now and where's it going to be in a couple hours, but days out and weeks out as well. And we never had that ability in the past to, to be able to crunch those kind of numbers out on the, on the wildland fire scene. And, and again, the communication to our crews is so much better now, too, through uh, the use of Infrared airplane, you know, airplanes going by, getting us an infrared map of where it's at. We can down, download that to our computers, uh, make it geo referenced, and then send it out in various programs to people that they have on their phone so they know exactly where they are on the ground and where that hotspot that we're interested is, you know, exactly 200 feet in front of them and off to the right a little bit so that they don't have to search and search and search in these dangerous rocky conditions for that little bit of smoke. They're able to really get directed in there very well. Uh, and that actually reminds me of another one of the technologies we have out there is the drones that we're able to use nowadays. Yeah. It's just something that, of course, we had back in the day, one, maybe two helicopters in the entire state of Florida. So we'd have a fire that we would need a, 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 a helicopter on. like, well, we can get it to you there probably tomorrow afternoon. And, and you're, you're fighting fire right now. You've got fires crossing wow. roads right now and they're offering you a helicopter tomorrow, which we would take because it was yeah, tomorrow. Uh, but nowadays, it's uh, we've got five or six or seven helicopters that we can use. The U.S. Forest Service has some that we can borrow. And then uh, like we were saying with the drones, those are uh, just another platform that we can immediately launch. Sheriffs are carrying them. Local fire departments have got them. We can get it up, get that aerial view, make sure our bulldozers are going in right where they should, but not get into trouble with the hidden canal or something out there that they wouldn't see until too late. So just uh, all sorts of different uh, aspects of technology have just uh, have blossomed. And it is just uh, great fun to be part of that.
0: Absolutely. And unfortunately, the scope of the fires have increased. But fortunately, the technology seems like it's it's been catching up. Um, so I think that's a perfect segue to chat about FNN. So super exciting company using AI to detect wildfires in record breaking times. Uh, I'd love to just ask you a question about how you found FNN, um, the work that you do with FNN, and, and why you believe in this product.
1: All right, yeah, it was kind of, kind of the other way around. I didn't find FNN, they found me. Um, we had the, the, the company leaders, Istvan and Tomash Karezy there uh, developed a new innovative way of further analyzing lightning strikes in, uh, in the past we're talking about that technology. It was, we would be able to get a map that was, you know, hours and hours, perhaps a day old of yesterday's lightning on a big statewide map. And it would just have positive or negative lightning strikes on it, two different types of lightning. And they would say, oh, those positive ones are, are a little bit more dangerous, but there are so many negative ones. They're dangerous too. So it would just be a map covered with lightning strikes. And that's something, <laughs> but close to too much information. But I, but the uh, Kresis the there were able to develop this new detection system that looks at long continuous current lightning. So just the real specific types of lightning that strike and strike and really have a greater uh, efficiency at causing that heating that leads to wildfires. So they had that new uh, technology out there and wanted to certainly apply it to help the environment, to help global warming fighting that and to help uh, keep firefighters safe so they contacted the Florida Forest Service up in Tallahassee said you know we really needed a little something about fire behavior and then my guys up in uh, Tallahassee gave me a call when I was working still at the time for the Florida Forest Service and said here John give these guys a call uh, let them know a little bit of something about uh, fire behavior and and see if we can't you know help each other out there help teach them about that and they'll teach us about uh, their technology and what a, a great uh, collaboration it did turn into. That uh, that they're like you said on that cutting edge of using artificial intelligence and the machine learning. Uh, in the past, we would look at obviously the relationships between lightning. You know, so the, the, the substantive question always was, you know, out of these. Actually, I just uh, looked this morning. There were over seven thousand lightning strikes in our little section of Florida, the middle of Florida, uh, in the last twenty-four hours. So seven thousand strikes. It's probably going to result in. Uh, probably ten or more lightning fires. So, how do we figure out out of those seven thousand strikes, what are those ten or maybe the top one hundred dangerous lightning strikes? How do we identify those? Relay that information onto the people that need to know: the land managers, the public, and the firefighters. You know where those are going to be. Uh, so, in the past, we used to just look at one or two elements of the weather. You know, how many days since it's rained, and what is the wind speed, and we would compare that to the data of the fires that had occurred under those conditions in the past. We're looking at one or two elements, making some assumptions there and assessing uh, fire danger, if you will, to that situation. But now, uh, after I got contacted by fire neural networks, uh, we said, well, let's put the computers to work, just like you were saying there. (laughs) I mean, that's what they do. They love data. They're hungry for data. So that was my role was to uh, Secure the information, you know, it's all uh, public records out there, but I know, you know, where to get it from different sources uh, to get all the fire information from the National Forest here in Florida and also the Florida Forest Service. Thousands of fires that we had identified over the past several years, put that into the uh, machine learning there, if you will, of their exact location and the timing that those fires did occur. And then put the lightning information, you know, and those were all just lightning. We sorted them out for the cause being lightning. So we're just looking at lightning fires at the time. And then I also went in, uh, there's certain weather uh, systems out there that I was able to secure the the data for. Again, it's all public stuff, but just knowing kind of where it is and what to get uh, helped out. Grabbed all that weather hourly weather from 43 different weather stations around the state for several years so just the amount of data that that is hourly hourly we have temperature and wind and rainfall and direction and some amount of sunlight that's out there humidity vapor pressure just all these different elements that the computer just says yeah keep it coming keep it coming whereas humans it would be charts and lines and graphs and you'd be overwhelmed immediately uh, but through this ai We're able to put that in there and really make strong connections between all those different weather elements. And as those lead into fire danger elements of how dry the fuels are and what type of fuels they are, um, really make those links between the actual fires that occurred, the type of lightning that occurred at that time, and then what the weather was beforehand and even afterwards. Because sometimes these lightning fires don't come out for two or three days after the lightning strike. They just sit there and smolder. And so we need to know what is it that let them smolder and then come out a couple of days later and how do we warn people about that? So it was really exciting to put those machines to work where uh, before it used to just be charts and uh, graphs and things. And, and now we're, we're making some really good progress there.
0: Definitely. And to be able to leverage that data, it's, it's just such a deep level of data that you that, haven't had before. Has mm-hmm. that helped you know, the department strategize in specific ways in terms of, you know, understanding patterns of different lightning strikes and locations and uh, how helpful has that data been for? Right. um, Oh, it has has been helpful
1: and it is only going to get uh, better and better as we analyze more and more of of the fire data. We've got a great relationship with the current folks there in Florida, uh, with the Florida Forest Service. We've got 10 detectors out located around the center of the state, which is where most of the lightning occurs and uh, many of the the fires there. Uh, So we're getting reports back from them uh, on where the fires were. Some of them are really small. Some of them are several hundred acres they end up being. Uh, So they're letting us know exactly where the uh, lightning occurred and where the fire occurred. And we are comparing that to our maps, figuring out where the cutoff is. I mean, we could show them like the old stuff, every strike that's out there, but that's not very helpful. So what we're gonna do is, You know, dial it down to just those ones that resulted in fires, look at the different factors, let the computers do their analysis of it along with the human beings that are out there looking at it creating dashboards where we can adjust, if you will, sliders of how dry the fuel should be, how much rain is enough rain to really put them out so we can adjust all this. So that's kind of the stage we're at right now is that we've got the technology, we've got the computers doing their learning, just more and more data going into the system right now is making it much much more useful. And uh, our duty officers, the people that are dispatching crews to fires are certainly using the data now. Uh, they can use that light e- lightning information to give people a heads up that are out even in the recreation or just out marking timber to let them know about lightning that's occurring in the area. It's not just the, the fires, but we want to keep all of our people that are safe out there that are also working in the field.
0: Absolutely. So as we're winding down uh, for this episode, one last question for you. Do you have mm-hmm. any words of advice uh, to other fire departments or people in the fire industry?
1: Yeah, I guess it would be to uh, you know keep an open mind about... Uh, The use of technology out there and and to have, like we do with the fire neural networks, lots of young, innovative, super smart people working there. Um, It's easy to keep doing the same thing over and over and say, yeah, we've been fighting fire for 35 years. And, uh, you know, we know how to get a call about a lightning strike and we can send the bulldozers out there and catch it most of the time and certainly keep people safe most of the time. But. Why not use uh, satellite imagery? Why not use GIS to share information about the actual fuels, to uh, notice the changes, to know where we've had prescribed burns that would offer opportunity to our firefighters, Uh, use this uh, machine learning and the AI to look at the weather patterns over longer periods, use the drones that are available to us to get up and look at these fires so that we don't have to put people out there on the ground stepping over rocks interacting with dangerous wildlife out there tree falls are a very dangerous part of firefighting Uh, so anytime we can limit humans exposure to those dangers while still providing you know the needed fire suppression out there i think the idea is just keep your mind open look for new solutions new ways of doing things Uh, The climate is clearly changing Uh, people's expectations are still there that fires can be controlled by humans Uh, that is getting tougher and tougher to do so we need to find our help find our planning find our better efficiencies everywhere we can and fire neural networks is certainly helping us do that
0: great well john thank you so much for your time and your knowledge uh, in in this the world of fire, it's becoming ever more salient as more and more wildfires are are spreading across the world, unfortunately. So yeah, not, like you said, not just the U.S.,
1: but Canada as well, right? This year, yeah. they are certainly in the headlines.
0: Yes, definitely. John, thank you so much. Appreciate it.
1: Had to do it. Thank you.